0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit Ellerslie.com. This is a series that we've been going through called Becoming Brave. Uh, This is part eight. It's called Getting Strategically Clever. It is interesting, and I think you know finding that balance of uh, in the Christian life of dependence, and then also this other side, which is tactical maneuvering. Uh, does God actually care about that? Are we supposed to just wait for God to lead us? Do we participate in this? And I, I remember having a a big challenge with that when I was first coming to Christ and really desiring to follow Him. What do I do in the process, and what does he do? And I remember uh, Oswald Chambers saying, "Christian, the Christian life is half mysterious and half mechanical. Anyone that makes it all mysterious becomes a fanatic. Anyone that makes it all mechanical becomes a legalist. And so it's finding that complementary balance between the two where God does want to draw on our Giftings, our abilities, he does, but he wants them consecrated. He wants them to be in his control, and so learning uh, and maturing in that uh, Christian process is all a part of that balance. And this this message, sort of, uh, I'd say, is a part of that uh, tension. Uh, getting strategically clever. Uh, Matthew ten sixteen sort of talks about this. It says, "Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves." Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. It's always sort of an awkward uh, and strange sort of scripture for us because the last thing we want to be is wise as serpents, right? I mean, the serpent is a symbol of the devil. We don't want to have anything to do with that. And yet it's complementing a certain aspect of how a serpent functions and that it is cunning, it is sharp, it is strategic in what it is going after. And so God says, look, I made you that way. You don't need to behave as a serpent. You don't need to live your life on your belly and make the dust of this earth your satisfaction. However, I want you to take that quality and utilize it in my kingdom. So be wise as serpents, but hey, harmless, innocent as doves. So I've spoken on this quite a few times over the years, but it's called the habalar. And in the Ellerslie world, it's actually a significant idea that is that we've fostered and cultivated, and personally, it's a very, very big deal to me. And it's been a part of my thinking and reasoning and strategizing for years. And so let me give a little background, because the screen, if you're watching the video, it says the Hubble are striking where the defenses are not up. If you're a tactical uh, military sort of man then you're going to look for weaknesses in the enemy's line. And the enemy's line is basically their front, that which you are facing in battle. And you're looking for weak points. And of course, it just makes sense that you would strike or use your strength to hit them where they're weak because you have a greater uh, possibility, potential to break through. And the same is true, in a sense, with what we are called to as believers. You see, the devil is always looking for weak points in our line. And he is wanting to strike us in those weak points. And you've probably gained a PhD in that, uh, where you recognize the devil's always out to destroy you. He is seeking to devour you. And yet it's interesting, but many of us as believers, when it comes to this idea of becoming brave, it's almost like the equivalent of saying becoming offensive, where we don't need to be on the defensive. We want to switch this whole thing around and go on the offensive. And that's where the hobbler comes in. You see, when William Wallace was back on his haunches and being attacked by Edward I. So the English are coming against the Scots, and William Wallace is the picture of the Scots. And they are not in a healthy place. You know, they they don't really have a lot of weapons. They have a whole bunch of farmers with uh, pitchforks. You know, that's basically the way it feels. And then you have this seasoned army of Edward uh, that have been sharpened and honed in the Crusades. And they're really strong and really ready to do business and to put down this rebellion uh, amongst the Scots. But William Wallace is actually going to change the face of military history when he brings in what we could call the advent of guerrilla warfare or the hobbler. You see, he is going to import this horse uh, called the hobby horse is what, you know, we would know it as most likely, but back then it was just called the hobbler. And it was this horse that was bred in uh, Ireland that was both, excellent on like rocky terrain, and yet swift uh, and fast as all get out. And never had there been a horse that could do both. And so he brings this horse over, uh, and he sticks his swordsman on the back of it and uses it in a very powerful way. You see, back in those days, it was the feudal style warfare. So Edward I was coming in with his massive numbers of troops, and he stations them in a feudal style, which is sort of lined up shoulder to shoulder in ranks and in, in order. And there's a certain principle of feudal style warfare, and that is you don't turn. You you stay focused and straightforward. And so Wallace used that against them, and he hit them from the side. He put his his swordsmen on the back of these hobby horses and literally charged them from the side, but they were commanded to stay straightforward. And so he just decimated them. I mean, it was a profound uh, reinvention of battle, and it changed the game, if you will. And... So what I always want to do is I want to circle that and say, how does that apply to me? You see, the devil is cultivating a, a resistance to the gospel in our culture. And we feel it as Christians. We feel that stiff arm from the world around us, sort of like, shut up. If you're a Christian and you want to stay, you know, okay, uh, and you want us to allow you to still be in our midst, then just be quiet. Don't try and bring, uh, you know, to to convert people. Don't try and bring your gospel uh, to us. We don't want to hear it. We feel that, and that's of course just throughout Christian history that's what it's always been. I mean very few cultures in history have been inviting the gospel in, right? So that's that's not abnormal, but it's somewhat abnormal to us here especially in North America where we felt at least a uh, an acceptance of the fact that hey yeah Christians exist, yes and they do want to share their message and yes it's okay at at least a certain level. Now we feel a stiff arm. And so when the enemy has cultivated a resistance or a defense in a culture, which we feel is like you come in in a straightforward fashion, you say, hey, I'd like to talk with you about issues of your soul. They have a tendency to give you a stiff arm. What do you do? Well, you might want to consider a hobble arm. Hitting them where their defenses aren't up. Now, that's not the best term because it makes it sound like you're trying to attack them, when in actuality you're trying to win them. And so using military terminology doesn't always translate. But if someone has their defenses up to coming on a straight on attack and giving them the gospel, are there other ways that you could actually bring the gospel to their soul? I've always joked about the fact that like a flash mob is sort of like a hobbler. You see, everyone is always excited to get caught in a flash mob when everyone starts singing around them. And they're like, hey, this is a flash mob. And they take out their camera and they listen to it. Or how about this Christmas caroling? When you come up Christmas caroling, you get to sing about Jesus and everyone invites all their family to the door to listen. And they're excited about it. You see, these are openings or gaps where defenses aren't up. In fact, there's actually a conditioning opposite direction. So as believers, let's use these things. And this is what I mean by strategically clever. I would say one of the best prayers we could have as a generation of believers is, God, show us the habalar for our generation. So I'm going to go through four secrets to winning the battle. So if we were to look at this as a battle, which it is, uh, however, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against the spiritual powers that are seeking to uh, put those people into a, a deadened, honeycombed state where no longer can they hear and respond. So how do we win this thing? So the first one I want to focus on is, number one, stay on the cultural offensive. One of the baits that we always have in every time period of history where we begin to see persecution Uh, rise up in its uh, intensity levels. We begin to see an animosity increase as it has a tendency to cause us as humans, especially those of us that are toting around the gospel, to be a little quieter. And there's nothing wrong with uh, being more strategic, but I don't want us to lose the offensive movement. I want us to remember that the key for us as believers is to stay on the offensive. So two illustrations that go with that is the statement, the gates of hell shall not prevail. And so when it's talking about the church of Jesus Christ, which some people have argued over this, I just covered this in one of my previous uh, sessions in this series, but where this is Jesus speaking to uh, Peter, or at least it would appear... And I would say, I think the application is a lot broader than just the person of Peter, because what Peter has just said is that he is the Christ. And then Jesus is going to respond, upon this rock, I will build my church. But since Peter's name means rock, maybe he's talking about upon Peter, we're going to build the church, which I'm not going to say there couldn't be some elements of truth to that. He's a pillar of the church. However, I do believe that there's something about recognizing the person of Jesus Christ with clarity is the foundation upon which the church ought to stand. And technically when it says the gates of hell shall not prevail, gates don't go mobile. They're not on wheels which means the statement is actually one of offensiveness. We are going on the offensive as the church and the gates of hell cannot keep us out. We are going after its captives and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. They will not keep out the agenda of God. They cannot hold us back. We're going after the captives that are controlled by the devil and we're going to get them. And that's a mentality that we need to remember. The second one, I really like this. I got this out of uh, it, was, it was a book called "Christian in Complete Armor." It was a Puritan writer named William Grernall. Big, huge, thick three. I, I, I read the three part version. Technically, it just came in one version, but it's really easier to read in three parts because it's a huge uh, book. And it's all on Ephesians 6, talking about the armor of God. And it, you can't imagine how much one guy can write about just the armor of God. But one of his statements stands out above all the rest for me, probably throughout my life. And that is it's interesting to note that God didn't supply any armor for the back. In other words, the way that we're built as believers is to move forward, not to retreat. Why would we, the saints of God, retreat? We have been given everything we need for victory and the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. So let's remember that. And as a result, we can win this battle. So let's go to the second secret to winning the battle. Number two, reinvent your approach without reinventing the truth. You see, there's certain movements today that are reinventing truth because hey, the church is passé. It's not working. We need to rethink all of this. And as a result, it sort of undermined the ancient truth. It's like the word of God is no longer the standard. It's their personal opinion or their feelings or the cultural emotion of the time, the, so, the political correctness or the social correctness of our day. And the church is bought into this hook, line, and sinker. When in actuality, I'm going to agree and say, we need to reinvent our approach but not the truth in other words, we hold on to the truth but we can approach this a different way there's all sorts of ways that we can reach a culture and we don't need to just look back 30 years and say well that's the way it used to work sure it did however sometimes you have to bring a new approach to bear and i like that i like creativity and that's part of being strategically clever. So I have a few different uh, illustrations. That The Habalar itself is an illustration. What Wallace is going to do is he's going to bring a new approach to battle, and as a result, he is going to be victorious. I mean, he's going to change the entire face of how military operations work. But there's multiple examples in Scripture. For instance, David, when he comes against Goliath, he is going to not play according to the script. What's the script? Well, you wear armor, you carry a shield and a sword, and you march out against each other, and then you fight hand to hand. And he's going to set that aside and he is going to reapproach the situation. He's going to grab five smooth stones from the brook and he's going to sprint. And guess what? The Goliath didn't have his defenses up for a rock to the forehead. And so, as a result, as David changes the way he's approaching, same battle, he's not altering it, saying, Oh, we have a different enemy than Goliath. No, he had the same enemy. However, he is going to approach that enemy in a fresh, new way. And as a result, the game is going to change. Gideon is going to do the same thing. I mean, there's a typical way that you fight against Midianites, and that's hand-to-hand combat, uh, man against man. Instead, God is going to pare down to 300 men, and he's going to give them an entirely different tactical maneuver. And that entirely new tactical approach is actually going to win the day. Of course, it's because being in agreement with God, even if it seems fantastical, is what wins the day. Esther is another one. The You know, Haman is, you know, licking his chops. He has the Jews right where he wants them. He's going to destroy them. And then there's this Habalar that enters in. And she is going to approach King Asuharis in a completely different way than just some army of Jews that are going to fight against this, uh, you know, movement of Haman. And guess what? Haman is going to hang on the gallows. The whole course of history is going to turn. God has a different remedy than many of us even think. That's why we need to be sensitive. God, what do you want to do in our generation? We want to be strategically clever. What's the secret to that strategy? We need to be in stride with the Word of God, and we need to be in stride with the Spirit of God. And if we are, God is sure to answer that question. He is sure to give us wisdom for the hour in which we live. Uh, The third thing on the list that I have is Jesus spittle. And the reason I bring up that is because Jesus is going to be a healer. We know that. He heals blind people. However, watch how he heals the blind people. One day he just says, be healed. The next day he's spitting in the dirt and making little mud cakes And so what he's doing is he's changing his approach. And if Jesus changes his approach to things, I think we need to recognize that that's how the Spirit of God works. He is willing. Jesus heals blind people in multiple different fashions. And of course, he could just do it in one way. And the same thing is true with how we're going to reach the blind people of our day. It's okay that it's not always done the same way. Same truth, same Jesus, but different approach to how that same thing is accomplished. I really love that. All right. So in out of the four secrets to winning the battle, let's go to number three. Make sure you own God's strategy. Technically, I really like strategizing. I'm, I like b- brainstorming, but brainstorming is actually one of my liabilities too, okay? Because I'm very good at brainstorming. I'm very good at coming up with novel and unique ideas but I have a tendency to be able to do it outside of God. Sort of like, God, you stay over there and I'll brainstorm over here and I'll come up with some great ideas to pitch to you. And what I've learned to do over you know, the decades of being in ministry, writing books, speaking, preparing messages, is to take my creative juices, my creative bent and submit it and say, God, this belongs to you. And it's only effective and powerful and can only do something eternal when it is you that is using it instead of me that is using it. And so in a sense, to take our creativity, our our desire for a habilar, and to submit it to God and say, God, what is the habilar that you desire? And so make sure you own God's strategy. If your strategy is not God's strategy, it's useless to start with. It's not going to truly work and impact the world. So one of the illustrations I have for that one is the Battle of the Atlantic. Now, if you went through my World War II series, that may trigger uh, something. But the Battle of the Atlantic is part of World War II. It was actually in World War I as well. They had a Battle of the Atlantic then in that as well. But in World War II, it is going to be a very significant part of the battle that Winston Churchill is actually going to say the most important battle out of all the battles was the Battle of the Atlantic. Now, for those of you that know World War II, you're going to almost chuckle at that and go, you've got to be kidding. That was, No one even knows about the Battle of the Atlantic, which is why that's so important. You see... First, to define your battle of the Atlantic, each one of us has to do this. We have to know what the most important battles are. We have to know God's strategy. And this is what the Allied forces are going to have to walk through in World War II. They're having to identify their key enemy first. Who's their key enemy? I mean, because they have multiple nations that are standing against them. So they have Hirohito in Japan, they have Mussolini in Italy, and they have Hitler in Germany. And so should they go after Mussolini? If they get Mussolini, will they win the war? No, because Hitler, you know, if he lost Mussolini, which he did. He's still going to fight. In other words, how about Hirohito? What if Hirohito is taken out? What if we get Japan? You know what? Germany would still be strong. And so what our real issue is, is Hitler. We need to get Hitler because if Hitler goes down, Mussolini and Hirohito have no foundation. They can't stand if, if Germany goes down. So, okay, we need to get to Hitler. Where's Hitler? He's in Berlin. Okay, we need to get to Berlin. So it's obvious because we're going to say, okay, let's come in either from the eastern front, the southern front through Italy, or we'll come in through like the France area. Let's, let's attack and let's get to Berlin. That's a, good, that's a good thought. However, how are we going to get there? Well, we've tried coming up through uh, Italy, and it hasn't worked. We've tried coming down through uh, Russia, and that's not working. We need to somehow hit the Western Front. And that's ultimately go- going to be what's called D-Day. And so you're going to see this multiple-year uh, product, this production called the you know, Attack on the Beaches of Normandy. However, to be able to do that, they have to cross the English Channel. To cross the English Channel, they have to deal with something, and that's called the Battle of the Atlantic. And so this becomes the most important battle. Why? Because it's what's going to free up the Atlantic Ocean, which is going to free up the uh, the English Channel, which is going to free up the transport of troops across the English Channel to the beaches of Normandy, which is going to get the troops across France through Belgium, through Holland, and into uh, east. Uh, I'm sorry, western uh, Germany, and then ultimately to Berlin. Each of us has the same issue. We have a battle of the Atlantic. And oftentimes we're trying to fight skirmishes and fight battles in our culture, and our own lives that aren't the center point. You need to become strategically clever and you need to know what is the root battle. You need to know what your battle of the Atlantic is. You see a bigger issue like a Hitler in your life and you want it gone. I don't blame you. And so let's follow God's lead to get down to that root issue of the Battle of the Atlantic so we can ultimately see Hitler ousted and we can see freedom reign once again. All right, the fourth secret to winning the battle. Number four, make sure you don't lose sight of your objective. It's amazing how easy this is and anyone who like these motivational speakers are always like stick your purpose statement up on your you know your glass mirror when you're getting ready in the morning brushing your teeth and you repeat it every day well there's wisdom in that and that's because it's so easy to lose sight of what you're here for what you're doing and as christians it's all the more important what are we here for we're not here to just be fat and happy we're not not here to just survive we're not here to just make it through to the other side we're here to change the world we're here to reveal jesus we're here to rescue souls. We're here to do his bidding. We're here to bring him glory. We need to remember that because it's very easy in a time of world crisis to go into self-preservation mode. We cannot do that because that's not our purpose is just to survive. Our purpose, even if we die doing it, is to bring glory to Jesus Christ. So my illustration for that is what I call the nine lies. So at Ellerslie, that makes a lot of sense. It goes back to the story of Nehemiah. Nehemiah had a purpose. That was to build the walls around Jerusalem or to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And yet all hell is going to break loose against him. Sanballat, Tobias, Geshem, the Arabian, and all their cohort are going to come against him. And they're going to attack at every front. And they have nine specific lies that they're going to bring against Nehemiah. Basically to beg him to give up. Give up, give up, give up. Hey, focus over here. Hey, get distracted over here. Hey, you might want to give up over here. You see, there are so many things that come against our life because we're in the midst of a real battle. But to win this, we need to remember what the focus of the battle is. When you get your Battle of the Atlantic, keep focused on it until you see it won. Stephen Kendrick's approach. So Stephen Kendrick, he's one of, you know, you have Alex and Stephen Kendrick. They're the the movie makers. And uh, Stephen Kendrick, I, I really like it. When I sit down and talk with him, he has a certain attitude that always resonates with me, and it's strategy. And so what he's always saying is, you must have a strategy. Now, typically, he'll add prayer to that. You must have a prayer strategy. Every time they go into making a movie, they have a prayer strategy. It's very granular, very specific, just like Winston Churchill had for beating Hitler very granular, very specific. I like that. There's something about me. Maybe it's just my makeup, but I really am attracted to that. Tactical praying, tactical living, tactical worship of Jesus. I want to have my life count. And when you have a strategy, did you know that it gives you confidence? It just does. When you wake up and you know why you're waking up, you know what you're waking up to do. It actually gives you boldness. So, I'm saying on this screen, if you're watching the video, the Battle of the Atlantic, identifying your chief target and then determining how to go after it. That's our strategy. That's what God wants to give us wisdom for. So here's sort of a summary of what we just covered. A God-born strategy equals a God-born bravery. The reason I'm bringing this into the series is because when you are strategic and when you have a sense of mission, a sense of purpose, a sense of design, like you know what you're going after, it's amazing, but it gives you strength. It gives you boldness. It gives you courage. It gives you bravery. So let's do a review. I'm sort of building throughout this series what I call the 10 facts that make a believer brave. And they're all promises. God promises to, number one, make you inwardly doom-proof. Number two, give you a PhD in good news. Number three, enable you to take any hit the enemy can dish out. Number four, make you spiritually unstoppable. Number five, make you above reproach. Number six, put you on the offensive in this battle. And number seven, make you a master strategist. It's a fun thing to realize that we serve the living God and he has given us everything we need for life and godliness and he wants to put us on the offensive instead of in this defensive position the devil is baiting us to enter into. Guys, have a great day. God's richest blessings.